Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Welcome everyone joining us on person and online. I'm going to give you a moment to center yourself as we practice some silence and solitude and meditation to hear from the heart of God. So let's bow our heads together and just spend a moment. toxicities, ruminating automatic thoughts that might be weighing on you this season, this week, this year. Bring it all to the feet of the Lord and the house of God. And inhale the promise of the transcending peace of God that when we supplicate for The Bible tells us that to surrender our cares upon him, to cast it upon him, for he cares for us. Sarah Young, Jesus Calling, May 7th, devotional. If you learn to trust me, really trust me, with your whole being, then nothing can separate you from my peace. Everything you endure can be put to good use by allowing it to train you in trusting me. This is how you foil the works of evil, growing in grace through the very adversity that was meant to harm you. Joseph was a prime example of this divine reversal, declaring to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Do not fear what this day or any day may bring your way concentrate on trusting me and on doing what needs to be done. Relax in my sovereignty, remembering that I will go before you as well with you each new day. Fear no evil, for I can bring good out of every situation you encounter. All God's people pray. Amen. Let's put this picture up here again. For those of you who are not following the NBA playoffs, please follow along. I will give you a pertinent theme that you can put your arms around and relate to. Just, I promise, follow along with me. But let's go back to the NBA playoffs and the drama that many of us are caught up in. And of course, I didn't have a very good night. You know, just to give you a disclaimer, I am a LeBron James hater and a Michael Jordan apologist, uh, sometimes worse than Skip Bayless. Uh, But just want to give you that disclaimer. But there was some controversy in the last few years 
with the idea of free speech and civil rights in Hong Kong and in China, and of course, Black Lives Matter here in the States. And there was a GM in Houston, Maury, who tweeted about free speech and, and protecting free speech in China. I mean, China has democratic in their constitution in the name and free speech as a protected right. Did you know that? But it's not respected. But, and the, there is a conflict of interest in the NBA because China is NB, the NBA's greatest financial partner, brings the greatest amount of revenue. And LeBron, during a press conference, said that he was angry. He's saying that if any NBA player said this, about free speech, protecting his own self-interest. Tell someone next to you, self-interest. <laughs> he said they would be fine. He didn't know what he was talking about. And James, of course, I didn't mind this article and the hate he received, but this opinion piece from the US Today said that LeBron James undermines values he espoused in the most disgraceful moment of career because he was talking about free speech and the right to live and equity in communities that are vulnerable in the United States, but contradict that arbitrarily for people in China. In China, in Hong Kong, people are burning his jersey. And it was whole, whole controversy because Nike is a big partner, NBA is a big partner. That affects the bottom line. And I hate to say this. Tell someone next to you I hate to say this. I really, like Stephen A. Smith, I hate, I don't want to say this because, again, I told you I'm a Jordan apologist and a LeBron hater, but I need to love everybody in Jesus' name. Amen? Okay. But the proclivity toward self-interest is not something anyone should be ashamed of, and not necessarily a character flaw. There's a difference between self-interest and selfishness. In fact, I say that this desire is the very propensity that makes us human. In fact, it's so embedded into our identity and our schematic vision of the world that it's very difficult to isolate how we are steered and governed by it. Because it's baked in to who we are. Well, there's a biblical precedent and a scientific precedent. First, the scientific precedent, again, Physical survival, self-preservation, it's hardwired into the very evolutionary mandate, right? Physical survival is basic, is a really basic math problem. You must consume more food than the metabolic rate of consumption or you die. This is why in the very DNA, inherent DNA of our biology and evolution, self-preservation is even greater than the desire for reproduction. This 
is why, in a humorous illustration, the panda is going extinct. They're so consumed with eating, and think about how big the panda is. It's my spirit animal. I go to, to see the panda every year in the Smithsonian in D.C., and they're so consumed with the calorie deficit. It takes two, not die. They're not very interested in romance. They try everything. So to survive, to live, is in your best interest. And it's not selfishness. What is it? It's actually self-care. Tell someone next to you, self-care. So if someone try to take your food, you'd be like, no, boundaries. Except me, except me. I do that out of love for everyone. But yeah, it's, there is an evolutionary mandate, right? Self-preservation. So self-interest is not selfishness. It's sometimes and many times part of self-care. And so I would even call this self-interest an instinct, very embedded into our DNA as people. But there's a biblical precedent. Self-interest runs through as a motif throughout the whole narrative of Scripture. If you want to reduce the Bible, 66 books, from just not a vertical spiritual lens, but a historical one, ethnographically, what you would see is a big crazy game of monopoly. That's what the Bible is. Essentially, Israel always loses its light blue properties to the bigger, better players. You go to Exodus from the very beginning of the Torah, Egyptians, they take their land and their autonomy. Then the Assyrians, they do really bad stuff, take all their properties. Then the Assyrians, and then you enter the Babylonians, and then you go to the New Testament, and then what do you see? The Romans. They're always losing all their properties, going bankrupt. And why I bring this out, this idea of self-interest, in the idea of today's message, what it means to surrender, the cost and the reward of surrendering to God's will, this missiological call that the Bible gives to give the good news of the gospel, is because a lot of times, scientifically and social scientists would call this, use this word, we are very un unaware of our positionality. Tell someone next to you, your positionality. You go, what is positionality? Positionality is your identity, is your position in society. It's something you don't really think about, per se. And so when we talk about surrender, there are implicit things that you know you need to surrender, like sin. But self-interest is in sin. Self-interest is positionality and identity. It's embedded in the cultural context you're embedded in and born into. And so a lot of times when we talk about the call of God and surrendering to God's will, there are many things you don't even know you've got to surrender. Because why you do them it's because of self-interest. And you just see it as a good thing. 
Prosperity is a good thing. But what if that prosperity encroaches upon the destruction of someone else? Well, I never saw that. It's hard to see that sometimes when you're so subjective and subject to your own profit and gain and survival. And so today, I want to talk about why it's so very difficult to actually surrender to God's mission. And self-interest is a big part of that. And God in the gospel calls us to remake the world through the power of God and God's love. But getting there has many barriers. And barriers we don't even understand or can't see. So Freud and Jung, was, they were right in some sense. Today, this message is about bringing to the conscious our subconscious, the impulse, the instincts. You don't, you're not even aware that steering and driving your life and what we call goals and bringing them to the surface. And tell someone next to you, you're not selfish. Tell someone, you're not selfish. And a lot of people feel guilty about this. But I want to show you today, I want to give you permission to be self-interested, have boundaries. But also, I want to call you to something higher, not to coercion but to a call, an eternal call from the Father and for you to hear it. So I want to alleviate the guilt from not doing more, but I want to call you to hear the call of God through this text today. So let's go to the passage. So I want to just give you two things. What surrendering to God's will will cost and the reward? What you get and what you got to give up. Those two things. All right. So, in Acts, Luke, a Greek physician, writes to his friend Theophilus. And for those of you who are not believers, seekers, those watching here, you're, you're investigating faith or you're agnostic, right? You're somewhere in between your faith. You're, inv- you're seeing if this has legitimacy. Well, this is a great book to read. Because you see here that the New Testament is just not inspirational content. Not just personal, spiritual, you know, exercise. But it's a historically accurate investigation. And you you see here what Luke says. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions, though, the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive after the resurrection. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait For the gift of my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days he will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him 
and ask. Very important part of self-interest embedded in Scripture here. Lord. Now, I want you to factor in, they saw the resurrected Lord. They saw miracles. They were with Jesus for about four years. Everything Jesus spoke about, and they're still lost about what God is doing. If you feel lost about what God is doing in your life, you're in good company in the New Testament here. And they say, they gather around. And it's not just like Peter, who's sometimes always lost, or Thomas, who always doubts, right? Or Philip, who's skeptical, or, or even John. All of them gathered around. It's ubiquitous what they're asking here. It's a consensus of what they're asking Jesus. And they say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? <laughs> Before there was MAGA, Make America Great Again campaign, which is a brilliant slogan, which why I won the presidency, even though I frowned upon it. There was, will you make Israel great again, right? The self-interest of being dominated by the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and now the Romans. What is at the center of the disciples, the apostles, the one sent by the ecclesia, still is driven toward self-interest, nationalism. So this drive toward nationalism, toward my positionality in where I'm embedded, is baked into the human condition. If this wasn't here, a lot of us wouldn't be able to relate to what God can do to transform us. So this wasn't even a stupid question, although it was, because they didn't think that there was anything wrong with that. Will you restore Israel? When God just said, when Jesus just said, you're going to go to the ends of the earth and restore the whole world, what they heard was Israel. You mean Israel, right? And they were hearing this, you mean a conquest, right? We're going to go and conquer Samaria. We're going to call fire from heaven if they don't listen. John was still very, very passionate and nationalistic. And what I'm trying to say is this is the human condition. And let me illustrate this. I'll put this slide up here. One time, Lloyd Blankfein, who was the former see of Goldman Sachs in a congregational hearing, sarcastically said, which went viral and didn't make Goldman look very good, they just had to start doing advertisements, repairing their damage to this. He said... We are doing God's work, Congressman. And that didn't go very well. But he was being sarcastic, right? There's people like Bernie Sanders and many in the alt-left. They're just as crazy as the alt-right, accusing banks for being greedy. <laughs> what do you mean? A bank's goal is to make money. A bank's goal is profit. That's what its business model is. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. It's self-interested. 
And that's why he says he's doing God's work. So everyone here, you can judge someone and be like, oh, you're a Republican. Or you're a Democrat. You're blue, you're red. But the more money you make, you lean a little more right. You're like, no, I'll never do that. I believe in human rights, and those people don't believe in rights. Really? This is classic black and white mind reading, black and white thinking and reading people's minds. No, it's just self-interest. You make a little more, you want to keep a little more. Right? Yeah. Uncle Sam gets a little less, I want a little more. That's not sin, that's a propensity, an instinct of what? The human condition. Now, next slide. In our church, we have a lot of Chinese and Korean marriages. And therefore, kids who reflect the beautiful confluence of the black bean noodles, jajangmyeon, they're, right, both Korean and Chinese. And you know, every couple of years in the World Cup, everybody's rooting for Korea. Because China, for, <laughs> I have no idea why, they have two billion people and other people in the forest that are another 500 million, they can't put 12 guys on the floor. So no one is rooting for China, but soon as they do, there's some problems at the household during the World Cup. I mean, what are you? Well, I'm both Korean and China. There will be what we call friction. And that friction is not inherently evil or inherently messed up or... It's just human. You have a, your positionality determines your self-interest. And the Bible is so honest about it. I love that. That's the good news of the gospel. The, the gospel starts with where you really are at. It really starts where you're at. So the cost of surrender, the cost of actually accomplishing God's mission or the idea of restoring the beauty of all things, the euangelion, the good news of God's reign coming to the world, healing everything. First lesson we learn is the cost is simple. I'm going to tell. I'm going to give it to you as it is. The cost is what? Everybody, tell me. What is it? Friction. There will be friction. Friction has to happen. In your spiritual life, if there is not tension and friction between your goals and God, there's no spiritual growth. And this is not, again, a black and white thing. I'm all for God's kingdom and none for my own self-preservation. There's a balance, right? I mean, you need to pay the bills. You need to pay the mortgage. You need to put food on the table. So there always will be when God calls, there will be friction. Because sometimes you don't even know. Like the disciples, they didn't know that nationalism was embedded in their own mission and identity. They, real, they didn't know that that's something they had to lay down. They thought that's what Jesus' goal was. A great conquest like David, conquering the ancient world. 
and returning David's splendor. When God's goal was to restore the whole world, not just Israel. So my question for you is, are you conflicted? Because apathy is the worst part of the, of the spiritual life. You need to be feeling the friction, God calling you into something greater. Because that's the only thing you should give self-interest for. That's what Jesus showed us, kenosis. He emptied himself, even though he was in a position of privilege and power, he emptied himself, he laid it down for the sake of what? The whole world. But it's not so easy. Because it's so embedded into. So this is again about capacity. How much can I surrender? It's an ongoing process. Who's going to have conversations with us to, about these concessions toward, for the sake of God's mission? And so it, it's like pulling teeth. And that's why, again, we're moving into the discipline of the heart, the discipline of the book, discipline of the church. Because if inherently we have an immunity toward surrender, because the human story is embedded in conflict and war, and violence because of self-interest. We're going to protect what's mine. But what if there's a more beautiful story and a more powerful and greater call to our lives than just self-interest? Because that's what the story of Acts is all about. That's what the story of the Bible is all about. So the cost is friction. What's the reward? So think about this. We're moving into the season of Pentecost in a few weeks. Their question to Jesus was, Jesus, when are you going to restore this nationalism, this promise of the Old Testament? Because that's how we read scripture, that you're going to restore the power and glory of Israel. And then the next action, the next supernatural action that God brings in the New Testament is the day of Pentecost. In Pentecost, God gives his answer. What happens when they wait and the Holy Spirit comes upon them? The disciples start speaking in tongues of fire. What are the tongues of fire? And because all of Israel is gathered to sacrifice in Jerusalem. All, everyone, once a year. Strategically, the disciples are speaking in tongues not known to them. They're speaking in other languages. From a monolithic lens to a polylithic. A complete mosaic and diversity of the whole world by the 120, speaking in every different tongue. God gives the answer, no, I'm not going to restore the kingdom of Israel. I'm going to use Israel to restore the whole world to me. That's my vision. The vision of shalom. Tell someone next to you, shalom. Such a beautiful word in Hebrew, shalom. 
Paul, you should do a word study on this. You love this. But put, put it up. Shalom. I think sometimes English is stupid. We only have one word, one meaning. But shalom in Hebrew is rooted in the word meant wholeness, completeness, soundness, health, safety, prosperity, carrying with it the implication of permanence. It's the restoration, restoring the beauty of all things. It's the creator taking everything that's broken, all the injustice, all the darkness, and making it whole. It's every single relationship from our relationship to God, to others, even to creation and to the universe. And turning it back and from fragmentation to wholeness. It's intention, God's original design for creation. God's saying to the disciples, no, my vision is the restoration, the beauty of all things. I'm going to restore creation back to me. Everything broken. Everything wrong. And that's why the idea of shalom is rooted in relationship. If you're going to surrender self-interest, and it's hard to, I don't want to make us think that it's easy inherently to give up self-interest. But if you're going to, you should only give it up for magnanimity. A, a, a better vision of the world than self-preservation. An altruistic vision. And that's what shalom is. And it connects all relationships back to each other. Last week, Jonathan approached me. Love you, Jonathan. And, you know, Jonathan came through Christ through our 180 package giveaway at NYU. Let's give, a God, let's give God praise for that. Let's give God praise for that. So every time you think about giving money to it, it does bear fruit. Because Jonathan is like, you know, all the parents love Jonathan. They want him to babysit their kids. They bribe him. He's great with kids. But he, he came to me after he came, and you know, he says, my dad. I, it was surprised me too. My dad, um, his mom passed away and asked me to ask you to pray for him. That's shalom. A relationship, the brokenness of death and for his father, who's not a believer, doesn't have a framework, sees a connection of wanting shalom to his son, who's a Christian. And now, in his implicit request, he believes in what? Prayer. God is restoring the beauty of all things through us. There's time peeves asked me, should we even do these packages? What is it doing? I'm like, calm down. 
Value is added when value is added. When you coerce people to want something or said you need something in return, that's not really value. You have to give it away. Folks, put this slide up here. Shalom looks like this. All the pictures up here. Shalom is a mosaic of God reconciling everything, every sector of our lives, every compartment of our lives. In infancy, we have a lot of kids coming. Our Sunday school is growing. We're, we're actually getting a second theater for the kids by the end of the year. Um, celebrating one another. In my book launch, people came and supported why we go to the park for mission and why we put up, carry these heavy things and, and put on a place where people could come find God Shalom. Why we do all these things is something Jonathan told me in one conversation. You're much smarter than you look, you know, I gotta tell you, you know. I was like, wow, Jonathan, you are, you're an intellectual. You are a philosopher. Andy told me that he taught him everything. No, I was like, I don't think so, man. I don't think it came from that kid. <laughs> but, uh, um, guess, but Jonathan one time told me, you know, Doc, I remember the first sermon I ever heard coming to a church. I'd never been to a church before. I said, you do? I don't remember that sermon. He goes, it was good. I go, well, yeah, I mean, I know it was good. <laughs> That's the part I remember. But he goes, you said that God is a great artist. And that God is creating a mosaic of all broken pieces, all diversities, all different walks of life, everybody from different places and spaces. And he's bringing them together and gathering his family and creating a masterpiece. I said, I said that? That's good. Jonathan says, yeah. He goes, that really resonated with me. Folks, we're not here at church paying ridiculous amount of money in this theater, carrying heavy equipment back in the days in the sun and here because we're playing church. It's because people need God shalom in the broken places, in the darkest places, in the most painful places. And that is why we put our self-interest aside and make coffee as people walk in and greet them and set up every week, not knowing if someone's going to show up or not. Because that shalom is big enough. It's a big enough vision to lay down and sacrifice our comfort, enter friction and tension. Because it's beautiful. It's powerful. It's everything. It is. Shalom is Jesus embodied in the resurrection. Death was defeated and now he is healing the whole world and that's the invitation of the gospel for us to join him to restore the beauty in all things. So what's the reward? Well, the reward is shalom. 
The reward is shalom. Shalom, peace, not just for me and my house, not just win-lose, because that's the model of imperialism, right? Someone wins and the victor takes the spoils. That's win-lose. It's not interdependence, it's independence. That model of colonialism doesn't work in a globalized society. It's interdependence. Shalom is about peace to me and peace to you. Cooperation. Loving your neighbor as yourself. The greatest good to you and to me. To flourish together. It's a vision that's God's answer in the, the book of Acts. The flourishing of humanity through love, not power, not profit. It's a beautiful vision of the gospel. That's why I do what I do. That's why you do what you do. Let's not forget it. That's why God, and oftentimes in your life, in your places of preferences and comfort, will call you again to surrender more. And there will be tension, but that's okay. You don't need to feel guilty. Go, I don't want to tithe more. I don't want to give more. Well, God might call you to do that. Don't blame me for it, okay? Only do it if God tells you. Sometimes I tell people, don't tithe that much. Tithe less. They go, no, I'm going to tithe more. Okay, fine. You do it. Or I'm going to volunteer more. Or I'm going to give more. Or I'm going to reach out to my friends more. I mean, that's really what we're doing here. To hear the voice of God, to help people enter shalom. And sometimes that will require more sacrifice like the disciples. They put their subplot aside and begin to speak in other tongues when the power of God came on them. And this can't happen because of our human will. It has to happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to ask the Spirit to fill us to use us. Amen? Let's stand and pray together. Father, we want to come before you. Will you just lift your hands with me to the Lord? And will you pray with me right now that um, you would surrender knowing the cost and the reward? You know, <laughs> in most churches, they end with the Lord's Prayer. Not my will, but your will be done. Not my kingdom come, but your kingdom come. If we're asking you, and Jesus is asking you to surrender, to concede what feels so natural to us, our profit, our gain, our interest, he's asking you to be part to not contribute to the brokenness of the world, but give up your interest, 
for something greater, for something better, to bring God's shalom to the world, to restore our relationship with Him, others, and to creation itself. Let's make this our prayer today. Your kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your will be done, oh Father. So, Father, we come before you this afternoon, right now. And we're reminded why we do what we do. Reminded it is worth it to sacrifice our comfort enter the tension and friction of letting go of my plans and conceding my preferences and even my gain so that shalom could enter the world, my family's life, my friend's life, and society as a whole. We've seen through the lens of history that power and self-interest does not change or make it better. So we lay down, Father, today, even our own ego, our nationalism, our prosperity, and to degrees that you're calling us in our lives right now. We pray that there will be a struggle, there will be wrestling, a grappling in our lives to be consumed with your longing for shalom in this world and you wanting and calling us to help you bring it. What a beautiful call that we have together. Will you bow your heads today for the benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore.
All God's people pray. Amen. Let God's shalom go with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Sunday. My name is Haley and I'm a member here at 180 Church and I will be sharing some community news with you. First off, let's talk about how we can give. If you're a member here at 180 Church, we ask that you continue to keep God at the center of your finances and to tithe faithfully. Admission is free, but mission isn't. If you're a visitor here with us today, we welcome you to our service and there's no financial obligation to give, but if you'd like to make a donation, you can do so with the methods above. Our next announcement is about all the ways you can connect with God and others in our community. First, we have our Bible reading group, 180BRG. You can join us at any time to read the Bible and feel free to follow along and feed your soul with the word of God. Next, we have a number of ways of other ways to stay connected, including our church's Facebook page, Dr. Sammy's Twitter page, our various Instagram handles, and our YouTube page. We are live every Sunday for service through YouTube, so you can always watch and re-watch the sermons and stay connected with us. Next, we have small groups. Small groups are a great way to connect with others in our community and go deeper into the message. We have various groups for different stages. Some meet on Zoom and some meet in person. If you need any additional info, please speak to any of the greeters in 180 shirts or hoodies. Next, we have resources. We have plenty of resources at our cafe for you to purchase, and they can help you connect with God every day. It's a great way to share the gospel to others as well. Now, while you're at the cafe, you can also pick up some 180 merch. There's a collection of sweatshirts and shirts. All purchases are based on an honor system and can be purchased the same way mentioned before. Um, are you feeling in need of prayer? Take a minute to pause and pray. There is power in prayers, and you never have to pray alone. Uh, you could send an email to prayer at 180church.tv, and there's a team praying for you on the other side, and everything is confidential. Uh, next, we have the a glimpse from 180 Studios. Uh, Pastor Lydia created an instrumental album, and it's available in iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. It's a great way to recenter ourselves with Christ by listening to some peaceful worship songs. And you can unwind, exhale, and take in the presence of God. Finally, we are looking for volunteers to help serve in many different areas in our community. We have the cafe bookstore where you can help people wake up literally and spiritually. There's Sunday school, come help our littlest members get to know the love of Jesus. Techies, please come help us build really cool stuff online. And then lastly, we need greeters. Come help uh, all feel welcome and be the friendly faces of our community. You could uh, speak to any of the greeters in 180 Hoodies or anyone in the cafe to help you get plugged in. Uh, lastly, we have Day in the Sun. Our next Day in the Sun will be May 21st at noon. We will be meeting at the Great Hill in Central Park. Please remember to RSVP by next Sunday. And if you find that you're not receiving the email, uh, to RSVP, please check your spam folder and let's pray for beautiful spring weather and don't forget to invite your friends and family to this event. They might be one invite away from experiencing God and life change. Those are all of our announcements we have today.